0: The Marshall Podcast. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Marshall Podcast, episode number three. My name is Daniel P. Carter, and I will be hosting this. So, the guest on this one is Brian Paul of Brian Paul and the Tremolos, formerly the Tremolos, who were a beat band from the sixties in the UK. The band had a number of hits, put out a load of records on Decca, and toured the world. And the way that that relates to Marshall and this podcast is that Brian was a close friend of Jim Marshall and he talks in this podcast about when he would go and hang out at the shop that Jim had, um, which became like something of a hub for the music scene in the UK in the late 50s and early 60s. I hope you enjoy this one. It's kind of different from the first two that we've had so far. But I would go as far as to say that this is one of my favourite podcasts I've ever recorded. Be that for Marshall or for my own podcast, someone who isn't me. Brian is a lovely bloke and we had an incredible conversation. And it was Not only did I get an insight into uh, the early days of Marshall from the shop and to, the, to when actual Marshall Amps was formed. I also felt like I got a glimpse in on the British music scene in that era. And there's a few revelations in there that I found really interesting. He has a few theories about things that transpired in the music industry at that point, and um, And it made a lot of sense. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did recording it. As I was going back through this, just kind of editing the audio levels and whatnot, it just made me realise how much I enjoyed that conversation. It was It was brilliant. So... Marshall Podcast, episode number three, Brian Paul, Enjoy. The Marshall story, you know, it goes way back and, and it's obviously the brand is so legendary now it's because it's, it's built its way up and that's why it be, that's why we're talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it started with rock and roll. Yeah. Proper rock and roll. Yeah. You know, uh, gradually as the music sort of went and got heavier, mm. uh, then... Marshall Hams changed, yeah, you know in the very early days when we I used to go to jim 's shop with the Tra, yeah, we were uh not the only ones that went in there. There was Pete Townsend, there were oh big Jim Sullivan, all the important players of the time, yeah, all congregated around jim 's shop, and uh the reason for that, though, was because he, in, in the early days, was uh, a drummer. Yeah. He is a prof- was a professional drummer, so he could make us. We'd go in there, we had a gig maybe over at Uxbridge, uh, Burton's at Uxbridge, and uh, we'd say to him, uh, we've got so so broken on the drums. There was nowhere you could buy... A part like what they call a clutch. Yeah, you could not buy that just like you know out of thin air. So we used to go into gym and he would say, "Yeah, uh, you playing tonight? I'll try and get you done one done in a couple of hours. Wow. Come back, or have a cup of tea. You know, this is machine want there cup of tea. Yeah, he would. He would actually go. He had see in his home." He had, and out the back on his, in his shop, yeah. had lathes so he could put a bit of metal in. He had loads of stuff, yeah. drums all round the, the, before he had guitars and amplifiers, yeah. there were just drums all round the, the, you know, big bass drums all round the walls. So he could always lay his hand on a bit of something to make you what you wanted wow and that's how we sort of got our started him being a drum teacher as well yeah that's how everybody kind of met him all the bands wanted to know you know about the drumming Uh, and some of the drummers i mean he taught some famous people john bonham uh not john bonham he he did... Uh, sorry, I've got that wrong. My memory skips, but he's, he's teaching a lot of the people that have turned into really good rock drummers over yeah. the years. You it's know. funny, isn't it?
0: Because I think most people probably just assume that, that his he influence... He made amplifiers. Yeah, that, and that was his influence on music, which which can't be sniffed at, let's face it, because it wasn't until... Those amps came around, which, which changed the sound of music, which is, which is unbelievable. But to hear yeah. that side of it as well.
1: I always say there was, there was a time when that actually happened, the change in the amplifiers, mm. which made the change in British music. Um, Pete Townsend said to him, amongst loads of people, Pete was trying out an amp. And he said, Jim, couldn't you make something with more what can I call it? Yeah, grunt. He said, can you make something with grunt? And that became a word. Everyone said it. Yeah. Said, uh, uh, Yeah, it's that if the Amps got grunt, we'll like that <laughs> one, you know. And it was that, to me, was probably the time when that changed. Old Pete didn't rea- well, he probably does now. Yeah. I don't think he realised he totally changed music in those days. Yeah. We had a little hand in in one of the changes that came about. Um, The Amplify, the 4x4s always had four speakers um, facing outward straight. Yeah. And he came to see us and it was at the time when I don't know why but they did because we weren't all good looking blokes or anything. Um, but all that screaming and stuff started. And I mean, that was so loud that you couldn't hear what you did at all. And audiences in those days were a little bit closer than they have them now. So um, we said, well, our sound is getting lost in going straight forward. How about making one with two facing upwards? Stand it behind us, we'll hear the bit there, and we'll be able to hear the, the two top ones. There's uh, several of them yes. sitting all round us now today. And uh, Jim actually reminded me of that, uh 20-odd oh, years ago. And he said, did you realise that it was those few words that... Uh, that you and the tremolos said yeah. uh, that made me make those amps. Wow. The next gig that we did, uh, he turned up with Ken, Ken Bran. Uh, he turned up to our gig. It was at uh, Woodward Hall, and it was in Dagenham. Yeah, And we, we were playing just playing rock and roll because that's all we had yeah. in those days. We weren't a harmony band then we turned into a harmony band later but, uh, when we sort of smoothed out a bit we just played rock and roll and um, it was needed and he brought it down and we tried it out and we used it and it it, it just took off took off like mad wow it was it was just sound we used to lay we had like Selma amplifiers before Jim made that's a story as well. Before Jim made his amplifiers, he
0: yeah.
1: was all drums, and a, an amp or a guitar here and there. Yeah. You know, um, and he started making amplifiers. Uh, people said to him, "We're we're playing through these little amps at Selma. We had little Vox ten, little, you know, small yeah. amps. Um, how about making?" An amplifier Jim do you reckon you know and he he'd, ages afterwards he said well you know it's not that easy you've got to have <laughs> a supply of valves and mm. all the it was all valves then yeah. um, supply of valves and all the stuff little later he came and said to us we're going to make amps now we're starting and we're going to carry on with the amps now and of course, everybody came to the shop then. Yeah, and that was at uh, at Uxbridge Road. Yeah, and um, he. So it, uh, must,
0: it must have been a hub for the entire music scene. That's that's got this huge, massive legacy. These legendary
1: artists. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, they weren't all famous then, obviously. Yeah. No No, we didn't have a hit record. Nobody had hit records. Yeah. Um, there was there was the Who. Uh, I don't think they were called the Who when they first came in, uh, but Pete and all the boys they, they used to come in. Um, there was uh, D- Jim Sullivan, one of the most famous guitar players. Uh, all the older people yeah. now, yeah. you know, even even a guy that you came in that shop that I was really surprised to see was um, was. Uh, a folk singer, I'll remember it in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, everybody was not Nick Drake, for. was it? No, no, it was. Uh, he, he's he's quite a famous guitar player. Okay, um, I'll remember it yeah. in a minute. But there, all those people were were sort of in the shop having a cup of tea, talking about the gig that they were going to go and do. Uh, talking about well everything you learnt from everybody at the time. Yeah. I mean we weren't we, we weren't one of the best bands by any means in those days, but nor were Pete and the boys, nor were anybody, you yeah. know. But uh who who'd have guessed though that, that you would all go on
0: to have these careers that were mm-hmm. were so mm-hmm. phenomenal? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it is quite it is quite weird. We had a good. What, what, do, you just think like it, what do you think it was
0: then about about the about that sort of whole period of time then, and and, and all the people that were all playing bands in bands together and playing shows together. What yeah. what do you think made it? We so were doing, special?
1: before we started doing shows together. Hmm. Uh, we it was just one night, and we were on, always on our own, and uh, somebody else would be playing along the road. We always hated it if someone like Screaming Lord Such was playing because everybody would go and see Suchi. Yeah. And nobody came to see us. And uh, and people like that. Zoot Money was a lovely, had a great band. Gino. Now, there's a story because Gino, we met, we used to do American bases. Okay. Uh, Air Force yeah. bases. There were. Fifty of them, I think, in England at okay. the time. And 20 of them, 20-odd of them, were around the Lincolnshire um, uh, and, and, and the South. And uh, like Bryce Norton, uh, Mildenhall, yeah, uh, Loads and loads of them. I, we met Gino. He was on with us one night. Uh, and his band were all American servicemen huh. of the camp where we were playing. I think it was a place called Bentwaters near London. Okay. Oh, nearer than all the others anyway. Yeah. Um, and we met Gino. And that was a story. Suddenly, you know, sort of 20 years later when everything had uh, all calmed down and the bases apparently were all closing, hmm. um, Gino became a really popular act. And it was all, they weren't all American guys then because some went back. Yeah. Gino was here doing, uh, I mean, tearing apart, you know. He, you couldn't play within a couple of miles of Gino because you'd get no one there. Yeah. They all go and see Gino. Yeah. And we would if we
0: could as well. So you tore the bases and and play to the servicemen, or or were people allowed on the bases as well for those shows, or?
1: Yes, yeah, they were. Um, I was talking to my wife about that, uh, that yesterday. Uh, we we were saying the the security wasn't what there was hardly any security. Yeah. We used to play at all the bases. Uh, we would drive up. They obviously knew we would come in. They'd say, Yeah, you go over there, set up in there yeah. the officers club or the uh, the NCO's club or the uh, the whatever it might be, the private club. Um and we just used to go and set up. There was nothing. But three or four times when we were doing those over those years yeah. there were um alerts nuclear alerts and what they did then, they just left us on the base. And there must have been in these places they were big as well, big sort of clubs. And um they left us and all the women that had come in to the base to to see, you know, to be with the the blokes. Most of them were, you know, um, married to the servicemen as well, yeah. and they used to. And we couldn't play; we weren't. Everything was turned off, and they just had sort of candlelight and stuff. But that happened two or three times, and that was nuclear nuclear <laughs> alerts. And, what, and what?
0: So that that's the end
1: of the night. Done. Yeah. Well, we, used to, we used to play a little bit, sort of. No, no electric. Yeah. So we'd play a little bit acoustic or something. Um, and just do as best we could, and then you know, um, couldn't have a drink or anything because well, we weren't allowed to drink. We were only about seventeen, eighteen years old, you wow. know. So uh, it was yeah, it was quite. The security just wasn't the same. <laughs> we we used to play at a place in London. Uh, in those days, we were uh, we were picked by the forces, by the Air Force Hmm. to play at a place called Douglas House in London uh, on the embankment somewhere and uh, it was the American Embassy or part of it and uh, we used to go in there just walk in, park outside walk in, put out all our stuff out there'd be people helping us and, and around us yeah. and one day we we asked about the guys standing there they had these big jackets uh, like evening jackets and they they helped us they uh, did everything and they were around us all the time even when we were playing there were, these guys were sort of around us and we asked one time who are they what, what do they do and they one the said oh they're called master at arms they said under those coats they've got guns <laughs> everything wow. and they're totally armed up to the teeth so it, you didn't see it but it was there probably yeah. that's the, the point yeah Wow. Yeah.
0: what a different
1: time yeah and and other thing people say how did what why did the American invasion of rock, rock and roll music yeah. happen? British rock and roll music in the states. Yeah. Now I've told you that it makes a bit kind yeah. of makes sense. We were playing to 18, well eighteen year old young blokes. Yeah. And all of them did the the time and then went back. So they knew all the bands that had been there working, and if they liked a particular band, they would obviously say, uh, talk about it in the states. And I always reckon that's why the British invasion happened. It was
0: those seeds had already been five years
1: later. Well, ten years later, maybe. Yeah. But they'd already seen all the bands.
0: That's really interesting. And
1: remember there were 20 30 50 100 bases mm. air force places in this country so yeah that's so funny. a lot of young guys you know
0: that's funny yeah. Dude. yeah i bet that i bet that aspect of it never even
1: gets talked about normally no no it doesn't and and i want i've been thinking about that, whether to bring that up yeah, because sometimes it doesn't seem relevant when you're talking about other stuff, but that you know those those times, um, and Jim. Uh, the funny thing is, Jim, uh, Jim Marshall, used to come to those, one or two of those bases. Yeah, have a listen to us, you know, have a listen to other bands and and everything. And he used to be out walking out just like we did. And so Jim... Wow. I've got to say Jim, I mean, I knew Jim from when I was 18 years old, and he wasn't much older. Well, you you grew up in in the East End, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was born in Stepney, and I uh, lived in Barking. Yeah. And, uh, well, that was posh (laughs) then. It was supposed to be <laughs> posh, yeah, and uh, and so yeah, I was sort of East End, yeah. We all were. All the tramlines are East End boys, yeah. yeah, yeah, East End in Essex, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I live out in Essex,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, and it, we that that uh, I mean to go into London as well to Jim's shop, for instance. Hmm. Uh, we, we used to drive from our house to Jim's in about. Twenty minutes now. <laughs> yeah, you won't you know. do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even get to the end of the road in yeah. twenty minutes. Wow! So, but we we spent all the time that we weren't working hmm. in the early days with people in in Jim's shop that
0: early shop. So what what sort of time was this then?
1: I would say nineteen sixty. Uh well, from nineteen sixty two to about nineteen sixty six, seven yeah.
0: Decca picked you up when was that? That was like sixty. Decca picked us up in
1: sixty was it six? sixty one or two. It might have been sixty. Oh, okay. But when we were first picked up for Decca hmm. um we we didn't do any of our own records. Yeah. We were used to we backed uh, vocally, we backed Tommy Steele, we backed uh, quite a lot of a decca people that were coming up, Jimmy Powell, blues people, we even backed some of the Americans, uh, Clyde McFatter. Hmm. Um, lots of you know famous Americans came in. so how, how was that
0: us... being that band to do that?
1: Well, we were three piece vocal. See, if you did, we did a lot of Buddy Holly stuff. Mm. So, if you did Buddy Holly stuff, one sung the main main uh, melody, one sung slightly over a third and a fifth. Yeah. So you you were we could do that with nearly everything, Christmas carols. You know, we just go to parties and yeah. and sing always in that same harmony. So they asked us eventually to come into Decca. Uh, at West Hampstead and I went back there the other day that was fantastic Um, it's still there Um, and back these uh, lots of other people and uh, uh, you work which is fantastic because you work with people like the blues players like Cyril Davis uh, uh, the really famous guitar players, Eric Clapton uh, Jim Sullivan, uh, all the really famous players. Mm. Uh, some of them you wouldn't know the names of, but were brass players and everything. And so we were the vocal group. Yeah. Um, and and do you know what? We couldn't read music. But, so they used to write it especially for us. Yeah. And and uh, people like, I often see on, on Facebook a young, he was young then called charles blackwell and he had the charles blackwell orchestra and that was one of the decker orchestras yeah and charles charlie t- he taught us how to read this special sheets you know so he could do it with any song yeah and uh yeah it was uh,
0: how was that at uh, a time then to to because I presume you, you would just get called in and, and work with an artist, and, and how much time would you have to work with them? Would it just well, be like, right well, this is the song, we're going to go through it a couple of times and then record it? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. Most times you'd be given a, a song at Decca. Yeah. And they would say, um, we want, you got a session on so-and-so, and we just to get uh, eight pound... Eight pound a session, yeah. which was four hours, or it might have been, uh, it might have been eight pound for the uh, for a whole day. I can't remember now. Yeah, but
0: uh, between we, the three of you. No, uh, no, we Eighth. got eight quid
1: each, oh, wow. which was so good, okay. Yeah. And uh, so they give us the the uh, a record of it, a tape. Hmm. Um, you know, usually a little. Uh, real real in those days yeah. and um, and they, they'd give us that we'd listen to it, uh, learn the three part harmony and then go to the studio and the, the, the orchestra there'd be about 10, 15, 20 if you were doing someone like well Tommy Steele, we only did one or two of his but massive orchestration and we were we were in that uh, just part of the orchestra yeah. and it was really good to work on that because now people write things about these old sessions and stuff yeah. and I actually know and I can actually say no my friend Clem Cattini for instance one of, one of the best drummers that ever lived lives yeah. um, he must have oh, Clem must have played on uh, Twenty number ones and you know all 60s, 70s, and 80s, yeah. um, and he often writes to me and says, "Sir, uh, somebody said so and so, uh, or somebody was at this session. You know, did that happen or did, <laughs> what? You know, yeah. did I play on that?" And I wow. can remember usually, and he remembers too. I mean, he's quite old now, yeah. you know, but. It's really good, because you get to to do the proper work. Yeah. Feel more proud of doing that work than you do of going on and playing the hit records. Why is that? Well, because you do that all the time. Hmm. And you don't work, you only work with five blokes who you know. Yeah. And you've rehearsed with and that's all fine, it's easy. But you go into a studio and work with, I mean, really famous people, you know. Um, uh, Guitar players, uh, uh, everybody, Uh, other singers, I mean, singers that they bring in to do little bits and everything. Ever so famous people, like French people, like, um, oh, we we're talking, uh, some of the French singers they bring it over anyway and Americans uh, I listened to a record we did the other day uh, it's by Delbert McClinton and Delbert is a really big blues artist now in the States Yeah, you would never think that he came over and sung this Silly song Yeah Uh, It was called The Hully Gully Just a a dance And uh, And played Harmonica on it And uh, He's a massive star now So It's lovely Because I I was there You know I remember him Singing that You know
0: So when When did the transition go from Were you still doing those kind of sessions When When you were doing the band as well No
1: No We We Yes, we were for a while. Mm. When we were doing the bases, uh, the American bases because we didn't have any hits then. Mm. it just overlapped a little bit. So sometimes we were doing the uh, the bases and uh, doing a session in you know during that week or something, you know. Yeah. Um so we used to, yeah, the after that though, I mean as soon as we had a hit, it was t- everything changed. Yeah. So How so? We did, well, we didn't do any of that. Hmm. Um, everything changed. We, uh, for some reason, uh, we suddenly got really popular. Everyone wanted to touch us and all that stuff. It was unbelievable in those days. It wasn't like now, yeah. where you can't get near these people, they used to get near. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you'd have beautiful clothes, you know, yeah. and they'd just riff and what. I'll have a bit of that, you know. And honestly, that's the way it was in those days. And how did that feel when, when that first started happening?
0: Did you? Because well, I think if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a bunch of working class lads from the East End, and all of a sudden you goes to your head a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It does. It goes to your head a bit, and you think that it's going to be like that forever. Yeah. And it's like that for a few years, mm. and then suddenly, uh, other people are coming up and taking over. Yeah. You know, and that's hard to cope with. Yeah, I think so as well. I've been. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. and mm. and even more hard to cope with. And a few of my friends committed suicide. Yeah. Uh, which is, I don't like to think, uh, it's unnecessary, but uh, like Del Shannon, for instance, I mean, we used to back Del. Uh, um, suddenly he wasn't so famous anymore, hmm. and uh, and it went to his head. He didn't want to live anymore, yeah. you know. With us, it was slightly different, because we'd come from... Uh, you know we we could we were slightly different. We weren't we weren't the best looking bunch of blokes for a start. We were all pretty big, yeah. And so we were okay. We could we could sort of punch through that. Hmm. But uh, it's tough though, isn't it? Yeah, very. And that's another thing that I often talk to my daughters about. My daughters are both in well they were a band called Alicia's Attic yeah I too, and um, oh wow but they they're, uh, it was advice well, that we tried to give them to say that don't um, don't, uh, don't just make that your thing yeah. Alicia's Attic yeah uh, they got signed they had million pound this and million pound that you know and they did ever so well yeah um but then they wrote a song, and So Solid Crew used it. Yeah, and it's still played as an anthem these days. I can't think. Oh, now is that the one? Well, one of them's called um, one of them's called Lola's Theme.
0: Yeah,
1: and they wrote it, and it was a, a you know big sort of famous thing, and they earned really good money suddenly yeah and they were writers and that prs
0: keeps coming doesn't it yeah and it's like it's that's it's like that's like free money in a sense that you you kind of forget about it and it just comes in the mail every so often and
1: ticks over it's nice that's right and they've written i mean their biggest writing time was with the kylie they did a lot of kylie's hits yeah um uh, and the bands, the girl bands uh, Atomic Kitten and all that part. Yeah. Um, they wrote lots of stuff and America as well they did some stuff with Janet Jackson Janet Jackson had a number one with one of Shelley's songs
0: Wow um, and do you think that that your career as a musician well it clearly had an effect on them it, yeah. it, they, they clearly must have Because I I think the thing with with a lot of people now is the idea of playing in a band feels like an unobtainable thing, doesn't it? Yeah. To be a musician, and it it, it has got harder, I think.
1: Yeah, it has got harder
0: as well because... Not that it was ever easy, but it's... It's
1: it's the old thing. People seem to think that people like Simon Cowell can make them a star Mm. without having the talent to do it. But in our day, there was no Simon Cowell, Yeah. you know. There was someone like Carol Levy's Discoveries or something that nobody, you know, and that was uh, jugglers and people, you know. (laughs) So you didn't have any of that in our day. And so later, um, it was easier to take when we weren't famous anymore, Mm. you know. because we always thought it was a bit of a laugh, you know. <laughs> yeah. These we used to actually play with it as well. The audience were all screaming and going mad. We when we got uh, one of the lads, Chip Chip Hawks, um, he, he came into the band, and we just used to push him right to the front and <laughs> stand over the back and play. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they loved it people loved it but yeah it, kind of easier for us didn't did, uh, I didn't feel like committing suicide I was quite pleased when it all slowed down a bit yeah and then of course you get these the um, nostalgia tours mm. that well How do I've you feel done about that those? for the last 20 or two, probably more 30 years
0: yeah
1: and uh that's quite amazing. That's lovely to do, and they always put together people like the last one that I did last year was uh, was Jerry and the Pacemakers, hmm. uh, was uh, P. J. Proby, and uh, the Fortunes, uh, the Searchers, yeah, and us Brian Paul and the Tremeloes. We we had turns of calling it either the Tremlers or Brian Paul and the Tremlers, yeah. whichever they, you know, thought. But um, those have been great to do. And I kind of retired from that last year. Yeah. But then that same tour company came on to us and said, came on to me and said, uh, look, we're going to bring Peter over, Peter Noon from Hermes Hermes. And we've got Dave Berry. He wants to do it, mm. which is, you know, Dave goes back a long way with me as well. Uh, do you want to do this with Vanity Fair? Mm. And Vanity Fair, a great, great band. They not only got hit, they a good rock band as well. Good keyboards and mm. big rocky keyboards and everything. Yeah. And um, so you can't, how can you say no to that? Yeah. They said, you know, everything they all the stuff we wanted, and it's going to be a lovely tour. We'll enjoy it.
0: And it must be a very different touring to back, uh, to back in the day. Not, I don't mean the, the stuff like touring the bases and stuff. But when, when the band was touring, I mean, you must have toured the world, and it, and it was...
1: Yeah, we did. We were lucky. We had we had tw- our hits were hits in sort of twenty countries at a time. Mm. So we could do a world tour. Every time we had a record out, and uh, yeah, and they used to make sure we did that as well, um yeah, you said before we started that they you, you got worked, oh yeah yeah we were we <laughs> were we were banging away on tours for years uh and uh it was okay, it was good, and um we'd all we were all married and everything in between those things yeah. and uh, and then when children came, that's when the things change a bit yeah. as soon as children came along for all of us and there's only uh, there's one, two, three there's three of the guys still four of them still left and um, they're the same exactly as me when children came along you 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 Take a back seat, and yeah. You just do what you've got to do with the children, rather than think of show business. Yeah, show business goes on the back burner.
0: Yeah, you know. For me, it was tough because yeah. I used to play in a band, and, and and we we did all right for a minute as well. And it, it when my son came along, I was in that point where where things were really starting to but it it was a weird one it's like you're always thinking oh if we do this oh if we do this and if this happens and then then we'll get to here and then this will happen and um that's my biggest regret I think yeah because you know when they're growing up they change so quickly don't they yeah you go away on tour for two weeks and I'd come back and I'd be like who's this
1: (laughs) you need to be you need to be there yeah yeah Yeah. and all of us had that uh sort of that thing Mm. it it we did tour again, you know, we, but we didn't work quite as much. Yeah. Because in our, if you go, you know, heyday, I've got to say it, but it's not a word I like. But yeah, but everybody, everybody time, had, you know, in that
0: period where you were really up there. Yeah. That's fine.
1: Yeah. You had to, you just had to take everything that came. Because yeah. if you didn't, someone else Somebody would. Somebody else would, Yeah. And Nothing. we, like I've always said we weren't the best band around. We weren't the bees knees of all the bands, you know. Mm. I can name a few that were, but uh, you know we were. Uh, we because we worked all the time, we be, became more liked, you know, yeah. than we probably should have been,
0: you know. I don't know about that, but
1: yeah. And we. Were, <laughs> like I always said, we weren't the best, so we we changed it mm. as well. We decided because we'd done so well at vocal harmony, we changed everything and made ourselves a vocal group. And we had to find that's again where Jim and Terry Marshall came in. Yeah, Jim and Terry. Uh, oh, I don't know, seventies time. We needed ways of of having a microphone like on the drums because our drummer was a good singer. Yeah. So and and a microphone on everything, and um, this is quite early days when we were thinking of doing it, but we hadn't done it uh, to make ourselves uh, vocal. So everything had to come out of everywhere. You know all the sound had to come out of every cabinet, all of it yeah. that's what we wanted and they built us a thing we used to call it the not the combo the uh, the the pod the pod it was that we used to call it the pod they built us this uh, thing that had all the the volumes and t- and tone controls on for everything that we had on stage and so we could just get those right and then go and sing and you had this massive sound yeah. vocal sound mainly coming out and that that was another thing you see they they were into you know sounds and, and it, although Jim you see Jim Marshall was a musician hmm. of all really yeah, and what I didn't never realised for quite a few years so was Terry, his son Terry played in a band called who we used to work with all the time they were a big band with brass and you know uh, what we called a big band about probably 8 piece or 10 piece you know and uh, he played in a band called The Flea Wreckers which was a fantastic band Um, and... Another one as well. And we didn't realise that. And I didn't realise until I used to meet him with Jim, uh, just going out for a day or something, or just, you know, because we're fairly close, we would go... His house was... I could walk to his house from my house. Yeah. And I used to occasionally, you know. And uh, I didn't realise till those days later with Jim... That Terry was a musician as well yeah. and a fantastic musician. What did he play? He plays sax, tenor. Oh, okay. I think he plays both. I, I've heard him play baritone yeah. uh, and I've, I've heard him play tenor. I haven't heard him play the little one alto, yeah. uh, but I, I've heard him play mainly tenor. But he's a great player, Terry, good blues player.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and, and you don't realise you yeah. know you just don't realize all those years and uh, yeah what,
0: what were some of your favorite tours back then like was were these when you'd go out and do a tour like like the stuff you were talking about earlier in the band was it um was it kind of like you saying now the tours where it's it's almost like a package tour where they'll put people together yeah w- was was it like that then were we touring with big bands as well or Ye- yes
1: yeah you were um yeah you uh, those tours in those days mostly had somebody from America. They always had Americans like Chris Montez and uh Brian Hyland, uh lots of people tommy Rowe uhly Mc um all all those people used to come over they were uh, they were uh, quite a lot of times they'd come over with their latest record yep. and they would top the bill and we'd have bands on those tours like, like do you know like that we still work with now Searchers one of those tours for instance 1964 hmm. Roy Orbison was top of the bill uh, I think it was Roy Orbison Dusty Springfield mm. uh, Gene Pitney Wow uh, Me and the Tremolos uh, The Searchers And a band called I think they were called The Echoes But they backed The people That what, didn't have a band With them yeah. The Americans So that And And guys just brought This to mind you, you You What I'd forgotten was We all used to travel in the same coach yeah, one great big coach <laughs> and and all travel in that and so occasionally someone would say like Roy Orbison said to Tremelos and me one night going somewhere and we're all sitting on the coach and he had a guitar out and he, played, he said uh, you're looking for a new single aren't you And we said, yes, we are. You know, we're looking for our our third hit single. Mm. Um, And he said, I've got one. How do you like this? And he played it to us on the guitar. But it was ever so bluesy, and it was a song called Candyman. Eventually, we did it, but we did it how the English fans of the time would have loved. Uh, Well, they, they They. I think it went to three or, you know, it didn't go to number one, but it was higher. Um, And he just played it to us and we said, oh, that's fantastic. We'd we'd love to do that. Can you get a tape of it for us? He said, yeah, I'll go, bring a tape and get it done. He said, it'd just be me and uh, guitars. We said, yeah, fine. And he'd done it really bluesy. And here, that he actually recorded that as well later. What well, Might have been before, but later anyway. Yeah. Um,
0: like the bluesy version here. Yeah, the that, bluesy yeah. version.
1: And ours was like, well, da, 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 you know, sort of really rock and roll version. Yeah. But uh, those sort of things happened quite a lot. You, you would talk to somebody about music. Uh, you know, we used, used to have in depth talks to Dusty. Springfield who was always lovely and sort of one of the girls like one of the boys Mm. Um, not hard to work with at all I don't know how she was later but in those days she was really lovely we have in depth conversations with her about blues and uh, American blues singers and everything Mm. and she turned into also one of the best sort of blues singers yeah. uh around. Wow. So that those were you know, good good days. And it all started with we're sitting, you know yeah. um, we're sitting amongst it. Um all started with Jim and his 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 shop. That shop was at Hanwell, by the way, that was Hanwell. yeah and wh- I went a little while ago, and there was a thing on called the Hamwell Hootie. And uh, that, you see now they're a record company and they do everything now Marshalls. Yeah. And, uh, and got a great band, by the way, yeah. who I really do like. I've got, got them on Facebook, I watch them, um, called King Creature. Yeah. Like, they look like real, no, but lovely guys, yeah, yeah, and they, uh, yeah, that's another thing that they've sort of developed. Oh,
0: huh? but those then, years. But yeah,
1: but then, you, as you was,
0: have you said, like, there's so much that I didn't, that I didn't know about. That that he was, you know, helping bands out and 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 building stuff to order and helping shape the way bands could tour and yeah, amazing,
1: yeah, yeah. and and he, he you see when he first made that number one amplifier that they call it the fabled number one mm, they've got um, it in the
0: uh, upstairs yeah. Yeah. well
1: up there when, eventually when I moved to Milton Keynes um, Jim phoned me and said come down the, to the factory and you know we'll have a chat and go out to dinner so I said yeah lovely and we went up to that amp and it's all gold now mm and he lifted it up, uh, undone it, lifted it up, and he went, see those solderings under there? He said, I think you boys must have done some of that at least. And I looked at it and said, yeah, but it's all gold, Jim. He said, no, it's all just covered, you know, covered in gold. He said, that's the fabled number one now. Well, I've got a picture on my phone still uh, of jim me and the tremolos with the fabled number one and there's no box on it yeah it didn't it it's just a chassis just all metal and valves and a transformer and uh i've always said i used to say to him you sure that was the number one and he said yeah that one is the one that's up here wow. you know so uh all those days, people used to even walk in and, and like, help out and um, it was a bunch of lads. Yeah, Got famous, but it was all, it was a bunch of lads, you know, in the first place. Yeah, Some great musicians. I mean, you know, when I think of who I've stood, there's some of the musicians that I've really, uh, you know, think of great the guitar players, you know. Uh I you know, I'm in awe because yeah. uh I I I think all those years ago they were they were doing the same as me. They're trying to find a amplifier that worked nicely yeah. for what they did, you know. And I wasn't even I mean, I I used to play guitar in those days hmm. and I've got some still got my lovely old guitars but um i didn't i didn't even play after that for for like 20 years i was sort of the front man you know and uh i wish i could play more now but your hands i'm 77 now Mm. and your hands get a little bit sort of sticky you can't sort of do it so good yeah and uh, strength as well and uh, yeah, I, I sat in Jim's shop and factory. Up, I mean, I've met people here. Uh, I've met you as well, my God. When I mm. say to my girls that I've met you, they'll go, blimey. You no, how do you do that then, Dad? You know? Mm. I said, well, the boys uh, you know, Alex asked me. Yeah. But uh, you see, people don't think, do they? Don't yeah. think that this happens. Yeah. Did, and it always did it always happened yeah you know? yeah.
0: yeah i th- yeah. I think that's the thing people need to be aware don't they because when when you're a kid and, and you look at you know if you're watching top of the pops back in the day you you'd you'd, you'd always want to be that you'd always aspire to be it but there was there never felt like it. it was actually a thing that you could do like no. you could never achieve those things and what people need to realise is that e- every part of of that industry, whether it's playing in the bands, whether it's writing the songs, whether it's doing the lights at the shows, they're all done by people that, that are just passionate about
1: music. Yeah. And, yeah. and they've, they've found their way in. Yeah, and, and always people that work at it. Yeah. Because like we were saying earlier, the one thing that you can't do is think that somebody like Simon Cowell's gonna make you a star because they ain't. Yeah. You've got to be yeah, you know, unless you you know, do some weird thing, <laughs> but you've you <laughs> usually gotta work at it, are not you, Dan? You have gotta yeah. really work at it. Yeah. And and we used to say people people would say to us over the years, How how did you get famous? and we said, well, we were doing A-levels at school. There was only one way we could get ourselves famous, and that was to be going out, doing gigs, and working, practicing, and still doing homework and stuff. Yeah. You, you had a 24-hour life, and it, there was only that one way that you could make it. Yeah. Unless you were supremely talented and didn't need to, like some people are.
0: But even yeah. those
1: people need to
0: need to be found.
1: And and finding them is, yeah, it's even harder. Yeah. 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 yeah, because there's so many now. Uh, I think the like the real talent of people, um, they get seen now. Yeah. And and it, it's that's a really good thing. You know, and they didn't get seen, there was no way to see them. The only way you could get seen was to get up in front of a band live yeah. and sing as good as you could. And that's how you got, got. you know, that's how we got our Decca contract. And see, there's another one, Decca. We were doing, uh, by the way, I went to see Decca the old studios. It is now the British Opera Company. And we asked, I had a photographer from America who wanted to do a program. And he said, could we get into that studio? So I asked and they said, yes, you can go into the studios. We will, you know, we'll come and meet you and take you around and everything, but you can see everything. And I went back last year and and saw them saw the old studio where we used to work. Same studio four. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, well, it's not the same, but the shape's the same. Yeah. And and you know the you know the uh, glass panels uh, you see people looking out from yeah. over the top of a console like that, that's still there. The glass panels are still there, yeah. and all the soundproofing up on the ceiling and walls is still there. Wow. And it's really something to see. But there they're talking about Decca. Um when we were eighteen, nineteen or whatever we were and that uh, those times we'd we'd worked and worked and worked, got people to come and see us. Um like yourself, you got people down and said, We're you know, we're doing a gig, would you like to come? Yeah. Um and sometimes it would sometimes it wouldn't um and we got mike smith down uh, from decca and uh we we were due to do our audition and the beatles did an audition for decca on the same day i think it was actually the same day
0: yeah
1: and what happened was we got picked they didn't get they didn't get the beatles so quite a weird thing and you know people have different views on that and i i always say well they didn't do too badly out of us we sold millions of records you know so we did okay but not as good as the beatles (laughs) would have done that's more than okay though isn't it yeah i mean the beatles you don't
0: know i mean to you did more than okay
1: they well yeah we did yeah we did okay but they but the the beatles um they went in did an audition that i don't think was totally sort of suitable i don't know why uh, george martin once told me that they they came in and they did an audition for him and he turned them down as well first time <laughs> Because they didn't sing any of those great songs that yeah. they'd written. They sung s- covers of things like My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean, all that jazz things. Yeah. Uh, trying to, I don't know what they're trying to do. We, we just went through rock and rubble. Yeah. Us like. Um, but how weird that was. They turned down the Beatles and they signed us. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> God
0: brilliant thank you for that that's oh, that's no that's really great
1: it was good to talk i i'm you know i uh, i quite enjoy it especially these days uh like i was saying to to alex uh i've been mainly doing i mean i've got grandchildren and everything and doing stuff like that now yeah. um, and it's nice to come out and talk about things you know the real things it's good for them like i said i'm 77 now yeah it's good for the memory too yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's brilliant career yeah thanks okay you're very welcome it's been a pleasure mate yeah it's been a pleasure sitting here you tell it yeah the marshall podcast
0: Thank you so much for checking out episode three of the Marshall podcast. Huge thanks to Brian for taking the time out of his day to come and do this. It was, as I said, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever recorded. He's a lovely bloke. And aside from this incredible legacy that he's had with the Tremolos and Brian Paul and the Tremolos, for those of you that don't know those records, they were massive. Absolutely massive. Millions of records sold. So it was a pleasure for me to sit down and talk to him about that era and also find out about the early days of spending time with Jim. I hope you enjoyed it. The next episode, episode four, is going to be with Sean and Matt from While She Sleeps. Remember, you can check out All Things Excellent on marshall.com and I can be found on various social media sites. It's just my name, at Daniel P. Carter. Thank you for listening. I am out. Peace.